This is the Game Theory Podcast, Episode 11, Wickification, with Brian Fife, Tom Westberg, and Jim Fingal. So this is the Game Theory Podcast. I'm Brian. This is Jim. And I'm Tom. And today we're talking about wickification. What does wickification mean? Tom, do you want to take a crack at it? Giving away all the good stuff. Either... <laughs> uh, by the the game company itself deciding that okay I, I guess I'm going to start off with opinions by the game company itself because they don't have any real confidence that they're fun and uh, they want to lead you through, or the game community getting incredibly enthusiastic and wanting to make sure that everybody else uh, recognizes their brilliance. There you go. One of the things that we're all aware of here is that there have been game guides, there have been a spoiler sheet, you know, all the way back to the early days. Tom, you and I have talked about in the past, and I'm just going to invoke World of Warcraft right now. We're going to talk about it all episode. Get ready for it. Oh. I was going to say, at least you didn't oh my God. me bringing it up. There was, there was no way we could avoid it this time. About the time that World of Warcraft came out, it, it was sort of a safe bet that any game that was moderately popular was going to have a website pop up almost immediately that not only gives tips and tricks, but people will either do extensive testing or they'll actually reverse engineer the data files for the game to try to determine what the coefficients are, what the thises are, what the thats are. We, we had the feeling, although we, we didn't quite pinpoint the details, that that had an impact on the, on the game itself. I mean, is that kind of the nut of it? Yeah, sure. I, I think we considered it fairly essential, and it certainly does broaden the appeal of a game. Elite might say it dumbs it down, but plenty of people want to play a game for different reasons than discovering the, the, uh, exactly where the key is hidden and so forth. And if you really cared in terms of game design, you could do things that would randomize things and so that the, uh, the guides weren't useful. Presence of this sort of always there help text is almost like a crutch because people will be able to get around poorly designed elements if they get stuck and, and they don't even need to ask other players. They just go to the web and figure it out. Sure. And it's gotten more and more in game from add-ons, which would help you through boss encounters. And uh, then eventually quest was a quest tracker or essentially there was an add-on in, in world of Warcraft that, started putting arrows in front of you to show you where you should be going next to, for the next most optimal quest you should be doing and so forth. And I discovered myself using it and essentially just I was playing the UI. I'm not sure I was unhappy doing that, but it certainly was a, a different experience. And now, uh, most recently, World of Warcraft has pretty much integrated all of that into to the game itself putting those those add-ons out of business. What I've seen of most of the other uh, MMOs essentially do the same thing. They have all of the uh, interesting, in most cases, uh, objectives of your quests are available on the mini-map and the, the larger-scale map. Yeah, I feel like we, we've jumped in a bit into the days of, of high wickification. I'm curious for, for you guys, what was the first guide like this or, or wiki like this that you used and you found useful and like what was one of the first ones that you just encountered at all well certainly i I think for me nintendo power magazine or these other game magazines would have the whole scrolling map of a level 
and take a shot of each tile, if you will, or each screen, and stitch them together so you could see the whole map and they'd mark quests or items or things on the map. You know, this kind of opening up the the details of the game are not, it's not a novel idea. Breaking things down to the stats of items, I don't remember seeing that as much in Nintendo Power. I have memories of some of the early internet guides that were just the text documents. I think I would often, or the first ones I used were ones for like Final Fantasy 3 that would categorize all the espers. My first reaction to them is it just seemed so cool to me that someone actually spent the time to compile all of that. Of course, it was one person doing it, so it was more of an obsessive quest rather than a community effort. And GameFacts.com was is sort of my guilty pleasure for that sort of thing. I would be going along, decide I'm stuck, decide I don't really want to spend my time figuring this this particular puzzle out and look it up and say, aha, okay, and do it and continue on. And sometimes I would just follow the guide and sometimes I would say, no, I'll just continue with the game until I uh, get further. <laughs> Things like, uh, for me, going way back to Monkey Island, I admit to uh, occasionally deciding I, I wanted to find my way past puzzles there. Sure. And as I was trying to get my, my thoughts organized and, and think about this, the first game that I liberally used spoilers for was NetHack. The difference between what happens in a modern MMO and what goes on with a game like NetHack is I can conceive of, if if I really wanted to, I could figure out most of the stuff that needed to be figured out in NetHack just by experimentation. Although there were you know tons of permutations and tons of cool stuff, the discoveries that I might have missed would have been because of a lack of creativity. And shame on me if I didn't pull that off. In WoW, things like drop tables for bosses or figuring out items before they've been discovered in-game, that it's an entirely different degree of visibility into the way that the game works. And Tom alluded to this earlier. There's a sense that you know there's all this clever stuff that's happening, and if they don't explain it to you, you're just not going to find it. I mean, th- there are kind of two categories, I think, of the way that this... This sort of spoiler or wikification stuff works. The first is uh, understanding like what the optimal builds are, or, or understanding like what's better and what's worse. And the other is just you know having people explain things to you that you might miss completely if you didn't take part in it. These games like Dead Rising or is it Dark Souls? Is that the one, uh, Jim, that you're playing? Yeah, that's the recent one. Where there are these scheduled events that unless you happen to stumble upon them because of luck or unless you've replayed the game multiple, multiple times, I just don't know how a person would discover this stuff. To to harken back to my favorite loot, there are things like that in games like Fallout, which were random encounters that happened in particular parts of the map, unless you happen to be wandering around in in the wilderness to the west of the the home vault you would probably never find. But yeah, I, I, I think an interesting difference here is is in the level of it's both in the level of complexity and in how fun the game is actually to play such that you would want to figure out some of these things on your own (laughs) because i sort of endlessly wandered around doing random encounters in fallout because all of them were pretty fun and that does get back to what games are supposed to be about uh Fun can be the discovery. Fun can be just progression. Fun can be talking to your friends and and explaining to them the cool things you found or exchanging 
uh, things you found. To some extent, most of these guides bypass that, although they, they may smooth you past a rough patch that otherwise would have frustrated you and kept you from going more deeply into the game. Even if I'm a user of them, I'm really not sure they're uh, a good thing overall for for uh, gaming. It takes a lot of willpower to some extent in the sense that you have all of the tools to make the game not fun for you. Uh, and the easiest thing to do is have the game be not fun for you <laughs> and have it be effectively an interactive movie with you doing the optimal choices. The problem is, is, that, is that playing games... What it teaches you to do is try to find all of the optimal choices, <laughs> and you, you want to maximize maximize the points in the game, or maximize the amount of content that you found or had access to, and and something like a game guide like this, which presents you with the optimal choices, is extremely hard to resist because it sort of hits all those right buttons of the the completest buttons and the you know, feeling like you you did the very best build, and and maybe even the designers didn't even think that you could make one that that awesome. That really acts against the parts of games that are in fact fun, but which games don't always directly encourage or teach you to optimize, which is the serendipitous discovery aspect or aspects of creativity and coming up with your own solutions, even if they aren't the best solutions or that are somehow uniquely branded with the way your mind works or how you play games. I, I would uh, take the, the other side for a moment, uh, though, to, to say one reason you might use guides and, and such is that you don't trust the designer because there are occasions when games let you do something wrong, they are unforgiving, and you end up going down a path that screws up the game for for quite some time. And uh, if you didn't read all the instructions for some portion of it or uh, understand a, a subtlety, you can kill the wrong player and now you, you are NPC and, and now you can't get quests from him or, or whatever. The game system uh, just cuts off lots of, of paths because you did something wrong but you didn't necessarily know that was wrong so it's like an alternative to obsessively saving <laughs> like it well, right it takes away some of the stress of of you having to keep track of that in your mind but there's there can be obsessively saving and sometimes if you don't have a a, a chain of saves back far enough uh you can discover you you've uh, screwed up something and you have to i played skyrim and got to a point where I, I screwed up a quest and did not prepare for it properly and didn't have a save game. And by the time I realized what had happened, the earliest save game I had that was outside the the places I had done things wrong was going to be three days of gameplay back that I was going to have to throw away. I stopped playing the game. I haven't gone back to, to Skyrim since. In some ways, the beauty of a game like that, to me, is how it forces you to not be able to do everything. <laughs> and you, you, you sort of uh, one way of, one way of playing those games is is to uh, revel in <laughs> the the fact that you have to let some things go. I'm a firm believer in playing XCOM on Iron Man mode, right? Like you have to accept <laughs> the consequences of your mistakes. 
But I'll use the example of our, our friend Paul, who was playing The Witcher, right? And he had a vision for how he wanted the narrative of the story to go. And so he he felt like he had to chart out and map the, the quest choices because it wasn't clear what was going to happen when you made a decision. And as, as Tom was saying, it's just too much time in between choices even to recreate those steps again. If you found you made the wrong one, you were dissatisfied where that, that ended up. It's too much time in a game that is not rewarding enough that you want to spend the time to do it. Whereas with Fallout, I played through the game maybe 10 times and, uh, there was more room for error there in a game like Skyrim. I mean, it may be, it almost certainly is a, a function of the fact that it's a 60 hour game or a hundred hour game and you like it, but you're, there, there's only so many hundreds of hours <laughs> per year that you can, you can dedicate to playing games and truly and you may want to move on to another one and i do treasure the fact that that actions have consequences in in the uh, elder scrolls games your reputation shifts and and so forth i understand that but this in this case was because i i screwed up a, a, a game fact probably would have protected me from that there's the the other thought that i had as you were talking about awesome items and the way that spoilers work into that is okay. So, so I have this romantic idea that developers threw in things like the alien pistol, right? To say, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't Jim be so happy if he was just out questing, toddling along and he stumbled upon that? It was like one in a million shot and he was thrilled. It was like the coolest thing in the world. He told his friends about it. Yeah, or or I learned about it from a friend who who had that experience, so I got at least a human secondhand experience of that. I think it it falls apart when it's in a Nintendo Power magazine or it's on a website as like this is how you build the best you know rogue or something, and you feel like you need to get it. <laughs> when yeah, well, I think that the the distinction like. Some of those things I did hear about from friends, but it it's sort of a oral history isn't the the right term, but it's uh, sort of rumors arise about the game, and you know people are telling you their experience, but you 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 can't exactly recreate it, and so there's this mythology that arises around the game and people's experience and the stories that that they had through it, where you know. You can take the things that they did and, and piece together a way through the game that adapts part of those, but it's yeah the level of specificity in, in which they uh, they sh- they share those things is it's both less specific and more primed with excitement and the emotional good feelings of, of finding the games rather than the the cold optimalness of of learning that you know in this square you have a one in ten chance of having a random encounter that that does such and such. Yeah, well, it, it kind of boils down to this this difference of the dev saying, "Hey, let's reward somebody if they jump across, you know, fifty stones in the river without falling in the water. You know, they get lucky, and then something awesome happens." To as we talked about in grind, suddenly creating the scenario where everybody's you know spending all this time trying to jump across a river when they don't want to do it. <laughs> you have the heads up display that says. Uh, stones jumped across the uh, counter. Yeah, yeah. Just, just constantly reminding you, you're not good enough. 
the other angle that, that Tom was talking about that totally resonated with me, I'm going to talk about uh, King's Quest Four. You get swallowed by a whale, right? And you're in the whale's mouth, and you have a... Um, oh, well, there's a spoiler. I'm going to spoil this. You have a... Uh, so, guys, brace yourselves. So you have a um, a feather in your inventory, and it's like, obviously, you've got to tickle the the throat of the whale. And there's even, you know, there's a large perturbance hanging down and you can follow this really weird path and climb up the tongue. And I kept going, tickle throat, tickle top of throat, tickle, you know, you needed to type in the word uvula. (laughs) And I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I had figured out what the game designers wanted me to do. I, I, we all were on the same page here, except that I was failing the, the sub game of use the right vocabulary. The prime case for me of of guides like this are things like this where the last time I used a guide was when I played Deus Ex Human Revolution and I was playing a stealth character the first third of the game or however much and then suddenly I got to a boss where you're just in a room with him and he has a chain gun and you can't possibly stealth fight him and you just have to fight him straight up and and I didn't have anything other than you know stun weapons you know after spending two half hour sessions trying to beat him and and failing and stopping playing in frustration I went and looked at the guide which informed me that you know you can you can pick up and throw exploding barrels at him or something these things as less as a guide for optimal play and and more as relief from frustration are, I would say, my prime use case and why I'm glad that someone is doing them. So should the game have popped up a little message saying, those barrels look like they might explode or something like that, so that in-game it would have eliminated that frustration? I think the game shouldn't have had that goddamn boss. (laughs) Yeah, the the boss sucked, is Jim's take. But the, uh, no, I, I think we've already seen the solution implemented across these games and that is just to say hey you want to skip this fight you know give you the option to move on to the next thing this is happening in console games and computer games now all the time and i I really do think it's the right choice and you know fine you get a black mark on the record of your character's experiences but screw it you got through the game you get to see the game well there's there's that there's also how linear does a game have to be you can say do you have to skip this fight if it's a fairly open world thing the only reason that you have to do that fight is you need to, uh, you know, get the extra experience. But there might be a different place you could have gone for other other events to do. I think we've we've hinted at this, but it it feels like a lot of the these areas of the game where we as as reasonable people want to use guides like this are are either there maliciously as a, a profit center or so that you will pay money in a free-to-play game to skip them. Or there's something that should have been smoothed out in in the, the design that so you wouldn't have to use a guide. Well, we all, I mean, we also talked about this in, when we discussed leveling. And, you know, we talked about the fact that all these games purport to have, and this goes back to your big beef with Deus Ex, all these games purport to have multiple paths or lots of character choices or options. And there's generally things that are much better than others. And sometimes, you know, that, that advancement path is a one-way street, or sometimes it's very expensive to reverse a bad decision. And, you know, so the reason why you sit down and read through things is, is to get a good understanding of 
what what you're getting yourself into. Uh, let, let's invoke World of Tanks here. I mean, I think I have no issue with the idea of somebody researching all the the level ten, the top tier tanks that take you know fifties or hundreds of hours to get to or something before you start down the path to make sure you're cri- climbing the right ladder. Having never played the game, I'm I'm going to theorize about what it what it's like. Uh, the gameplay sort of starts with the tank you're selected, but I imagine it's it's not in the same way sort of decided the outcome is not decided once you have a optimal or near optimal tank choice i think it's more an issue of geez i i I spent all this time leveling russian tanks and i didn't realize that the accuracy of their guns are terrible and that's really important to me in my enjoyment of the game so where are we where are we getting with this i mean what are your guys' additional thoughts i often go back to this the 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 idea of of whether or not, like, there's, there are certain features of games which, to me, given that I don't have to play all games, and I also don't have to enjoy all games, are, are indicators of, of types of, of games that I, I would just rather not play. I don't know that Wikivacation, like, the sorts of games that at, at least inspired massive Wikivacation, uh, I don't know if I'm prepared to say that, that that's a, a, a dead giveaway for me, but it certainly is approaching it in the sense that the sorts of games that I find interesting and I really like playing involve learning and surprise and interesting mechanics. And it seems like at least the interesting mechanic aspect is hard for a guide like this to be developed or, or counteract the, the joy of a game with an interesting mechanic. Yes, a, a game such as, say, StarCraft, you, you may be able to give people guidance about strengths and, and, and general play styles to, to use for a particular uh, race and, and, and such and build orders, but you're really not going to get into being a, a top-tier player by anything you can read. It's, it's, it feels much more like real-time chess. And similarly, the more pure, simply hand-eye reaction uh, games, Tetris or something like that, are, are still going to be excellent games. And there just really isn't anything I can tell you about wh- how you can get so that you can get into a zen of fitting those pieces in place. Oh, but Tetris is a good example of a game where you know there are strategy guides for te- Tetris, but you, you don't need to read them. I I, re- I believe that there are, but I also believe that there are ripoffs. <laughs> I guess everybody probably comes to the discovery eventually on their own of leaving the one space on the right side and then dropping the long piece in and having them all disappear and you know getting the perfect thing. But it takes a while to get to that, right? Yeah, well, and, and it's also, I mean, any sort of guide, like a guide, I'm, I'm like imagining reading a guide for Tetris and it would... Like it seems like the only possible things that could tell me about the game would be of interest and would would probably increase my enjoyment of the game, knowing a bit more about it. But I don't know how much better it would actually make me at it. Yeah, and these, you know we've seen these games that have developed wikis that are part of you know the hosted by the the game manufacturer, the game developer, the game the game uh, producer. Uh, that, that are hosted by the game company. And we've also seen games like 
Eve that have a web browser built into the game itself. And I think the assumption is you're going to open the wiki while you're flying from one place to another to, to check something. I, I think it's it's funny that trying to figure out what to call the the companies that build these games because it sort of it goes goes without saying that the sorts of organizations that build games like this that spawn guides like this are often very very large organizations. That's obviously hasn't been the case for all time. Like NetHack wasn't like that, but it seems to be. The case for the Eves in World of Warcrafts, and uh... yeah, so so I'm so I'm 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 sold on the presence of uh, the Eve wiki and the World of Tanks wiki. I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, the Eve wiki is also a lot of it is uh, is like in-game story, right? Where you're learning about there's there's both things telling you about skills, but it's it's like. A research library for the world. I, as I well, suppose right? a person could do that. I just always looked up details on ships. <laughs> you want to know what how how do uh, to spend your yeah? Two but days the away. the thing that <clears throat> the thing that I that I, I went to another site for was just the fact that it didn't have opinions. You know, it didn't have that voice of weighing in about. You know, not necessarily this is bad, but this is good for this, and it's not so good for that. And, and giving you that, that kind of guidance. But that's more of an editorial issue than anything else. Um, you know, we, we all agree that, that going to someplace and getting an answer to a question because you are stuck on a puzzle that for good reasons or bad isn't obvious to you or isn't possible for you to resolve is a good thing. We all get a little more ambivalent about the games where they're sort of just laying out all the the answers for you or this is good and this is bad or this is what you have to do in order to grind out the best items. Yeah, and I think you mentioned last week or the week before I think about um about Tobald's take on on XCOM. One of the things that that Tobald's talked about is a game that has an optimal path is in many ways less fun. If there's this, if there's these steps that you go through where you do X and then Y and Z, and everybody sort of agrees that if you're not doing that, you're limiting your advancement or you're not doing things as fast as you can, then there's a little bit of sadness associated with that because how do you really? <laughs> there's no such thing as free will, Jim. Yeah, well, it's there. There's no such thing as emergent gameplay. And I guess the area where I struggle the most is with a game like Dark Souls or even with a game like uh, Dead Rising where there are these timed events or there are these aspects of the game that I really feel like you have to read about to get it. I mean, I played Dead Rising for maybe 10 or 15 hours, probably longer than that. And I I finished it, and then I thought about it for a while, and then I realized I'd been playing the game entirely wrong. Well, the, the Dead Rising does give you the, the cues that someone is dying and, and you haven't saved them. So there's at least some sort of cue that if you were to replay again you could choose to to go do that right yeah but as i as i as i sort of thinking around i I think a lot of these games in an attempt to be clever and to create a sense of mystery in the game don't sort of bonk you over the head with hey you're 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 missing the boat buddy um and yet you know we all just go to the guide and read it (laughs) and so it's lost anyway i I guess i just I, i think i struggle with the idea of feeling like a game that has this degree of variability or these wonderful little things that you stumble onto is it's a very cool concept and yet I, I don't see how you 
actually execute on it in reality. Well, it's like it's a cool concept that has been the corporate bastards have taken it and they've built it into their games, and now you have to shoot a hundred pigeons in the Grand Theft Auto game. That's 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 the ten seconds. Well, I think the other thing is other games have have built this in better by just forcing you to make choices. I was sort of thinking about how nice the choices were in XCOM, <laughs> my new favorite game. Where, you know, every, you know, year or whatever in the game, there's this, this crisis moment where three different places are in trouble and you have to pick which one you're going to go and try to make better and which two you're just going to let slide. And the consequences of, of letting them slide are, are, you can be fully understood even by a beginner player. And the rewards for picking one or the other can also be fully understood. A great choice that you have to make and a great way to sort of map it through a narrative in the game. Uh, there, there are a few games, and there are probably good reasons for this, but there are a few uh, games that make your choices so so clear cut. The Witcher is one where you know there's this complicated story, and you know good and bad are muddied, and who the hell knows what happens when you pick, you know, when you choose to set the kid free or not. Well, so for for XCOM, when you say that the the choices are clear, is is that part of what feeds into like? there's an optimal path that you, you can pick because if, if only you think about the choices well enough, like it's clear which is the right one. Well, the aspect that I'm celebrating here is the fact that you have to make a choice and there will be consequences of that choice though. Like there's no way you can, there's no way you can do yeah, everything. Yeah. Yes, but that doesn't mean there are multiple decent paths. That's which is, you seem to be saying it's obvious there are not. And uh, that may be, it, I mean, obviously there are game designs that are opinionated. Many of the the world-building games essentially strongly encourage you not to nuke everybody, things like that. They they set up the the rules to not reward behavior that they dislike. And that could be true of XCOM, but it doesn't mean there aren't parallel paths you could have taken. Yeah, and even games I mean even games without parallel paths Half-Life 2 is a game on effectively on rails, right, where there is one way through the game. Part of that actually gets around the needing a guide to find the optimal way through the game because it's constrained in such a manner that you have less choices about the macro story, but then given more freedom to play around and figure stuff out within individual levels. Well, but you're also talking about the portal kind of construction where... There will be three or four ways through a level, but the game designers were only really thinking about one when they made the level. That's very fun to me. The sorts of games that that allow for behavior in which it's not obvious, uh, it's not necessarily obvious to the designer the optimal way through the level or the optimal behavior. So how do you keep the mystery alive in a game? How do you build a game where the users don't run to wikis and where that's that can be sort of culturally acceptable well as a game player you can always buy the game as soon as it comes out and and play it as a way to counteract it <laughs> that's that that worked for me with fez and uh and not knowing about the top secret anti-cubes <laughs> that that were not at all uh advertised or or even hinted at that, that's skirting the question from the designer's perspective but that's at least as as a player one one has the option of either playing it right away or... I suspect that uh, designers, while they don't really want their games spoiled, they also 
uh, have to be trying to design the game to um, survive and still be interesting and maybe even challenging, even if somebody has a a complete event-by-event walkthrough. You have to have built up certain hand-eye coordination skills to, to do things. There are, Obviously, there are going to be some games, the, the straightforward adventure puzzle games like Monkey Island, where really there, there is nothing that you would have to, to get good at to get through it, although you still might enjoy it simply because it's so well-written. In, in, in general, I think the game designers flip it around and hope that a community does get interested enough to bother to have people building a wiki around it and so forth. And they even sometimes set things up to hope uh, certain in-game things become an internet meme, such as portals, the cake is a lie, which, by the way, it is. I don't care what certain people say. You just hang on to that reality of yours. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but, but I think, I, I don't know if it's cynically set up and, and deliberately, but certainly once, once game uh, companies and, and design teams recognize that certain aspects of, of their game, um, have caught on, they're, they're perfectly willing to, to stress those. And you can, you can say that's cynical or you can say it's fan service. It, it's pretty much the same either way. Yeah. But, the, but to flip it around, you also have, people like Jonathan Blow not exactly pleading but basically telling people like don't use a guide the game will be much more fun it's a very difficult game but you will be fundamentally missing something if you use a guide just try it long enough eventually you'll get it and the experience that you'll have will be much better it fundamentally always comes back to trust and whether or not you have enough trust in the game designer and the game developers to count to, yeah, to count to on the fact that, that yeah. you will be able to figure it out. I mean, it, that was the, the, the repudiation of, of Secret World by Tom Chick, you know, largely happened because he, the game was trying to do cleverish things where things failed or you linked to the web or whatever. And it became impossible to tell if they were just so clever you couldn't figure it out if they had just screwed up. Eventually you could guess that they probably just screwed up. Eventually, but you know, it, you know, Jonathan Blow would tell you no. <laughs> you, you're just, you're just not, you know, take a walk, think about it. For me, I a lot of my indie slant comes from. I feel like I can trust individuals, but it's much harder for me to uh, to trust uh, committees. Well, you can trust individuals, although they have to at least earn it. I, I don't think somebody can just you know throw a game out there and. And uh, start ordering you around and saying you you must play this way and and so forth. There's 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 got to be some discovery that yes there's there's talent behind this um, before you're going to go with that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I immediately grant individuals all trust. It's not that I I I couldn't trust a corporation or or a group or a committee that comes up with the games, but the 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 bar is higher to to earn the trust where with with braid i i could be convinced earlier on playing the game a little bit and hearing this person and reading a little bit about the person and 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 them making this assertion to me versus versus the trust earned playing multiple games by uh by valve and 
eventually getting to the point where I'll, I'll give them you know as much rope as they want. Right. There are companies that certainly have earned our goodwill. Valve is one of them. I, I would have said BioWare was one until ni- the the uh, Old Republic MMO came out and pretty much blew that up for me. Boy, I I didn't I haven't been following the free to play transition closely, but it sounds like it's it's not not been following an optimal path. Right. Well, I didn't think it was that big initially. <laughs> they but, should get uh, a guide. They, for they seem that. to have completely screwed that up. Yes. I just I'm I'm going to be thrilled when we finally enter an era where we're conceiving of and building the kinds of what would he call it high MMOs like like World of Warcraft with with free to play from the very beginning. And not as a retrofit, because I, I really doesn't don't think it services the model or the games. I don't know if the economics work. I'm sure the companies are all trying to figure that out. It, spending a hundred million dollars on something where you don't know you're going to have any revenue stream. Well, I, there's it, it comes down to I think and we're completely off topic, but I, I I'm going to go with this. It 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 comes down to. The difference between, you know, the, the movie philosophy or like the, the short episode philosophy. You know, if you have to build the entire thing before you pull the curtains back, there's no way you can sort of avoid the, either the World of Warcraft thing or scaling down hugely. Which is the, the, the startup cost of doing a movie versus a, yeah, I mean, you know, series. you're doing a TV series, you have to, you know, build a set and do some things like that, but you can sort of have a step plan versus, you know, filming the whole movie, getting it into the can, doing the... <laughs> yeah, for, for, first you get a pilot. I, I don't think TV yeah. series some is so much it. I mean, the, the in, there is an indie scene for movies just as uh, there is for for games. And I, I think the, the parallels are very good. Yeah, but your assumption there is that the indie movies are not going to be as lush as the 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 fully produced ones and i i don't know i'd like to believe there's a way to do a full-on intense experience with all the bells and whistles but just you know have a short path and then just build it slowly ah with all of the incredible graphics and music and everything that that a large team can can bring to a a big game that's that's tough I'm, I'm naive and starry-eyed. It's it's wide as well as deep that they end up going. That's it's a good point, and uh, I don't deny the fact that there is a, a big cost. But yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. Let's just accept that and move on. Yeah, just stop playing uh, MMOs. Uh, done, done. You'll be happier. <laughs> uh, not done. Would you you fall off the wagon again? Uh, perhaps. I can say they are, oh, they have no. continued to dumb it down in some ways that are quite amazing. Uh, going back to the, the wickification, truly, uh, World of Warcraft now, if you're doing something stupid, big letters prop up on the screen and tell you what you should have been doing. Yeah, very, very much like the, the, uh, the Mario Kart, like you're driving the wrong way. <laughs> exactly. And I, I, don't I was think, quite impressed. I, I don't think, you know, if you took, if you took the Tom who first started playing the World of Warcraft, you know, and he's he's ten minutes in on you know the newly launched game, and you videotape that experience, and then you compare it to somebody who's been playing for hundreds of hours in the latest incarnation of the game, 
there's no comparison. They're not reading anything on the screen. <laughs> Except, right, although to some extent I feel as if I'm I'm sort of playing the, the game out of muscle memory because it's there and I, mean, I canceled my subscription, but it's not up yet, so why not use some of the time? <laughs> well, this is, I mean, this is fundamentally what, you know, the reasons that Tobolds has chalked up for the sort of death of MMOs or the, the, the triple MMOs is that we have not introduced any new, any real new or novel mechanics and you can sleep your way through the game. Right. Yeah. And, and you're right. You, you should not be playing MMOs, but I, at the moment don't have anything else that that's uh, compelling to me. Speaking of what we've been playing, Ever since Brian and I became award-winning uh, game designers, and I I won a half-price iPad, and he won a cash prize that I promise I will I will give to you at some point. Uh, I've been I've been playing nonstop uh, iPad games. So what do you what do you been get digging into? So uh, of course I've been I played been playing Letterpress with you and others. I. Connected to Letterpress Spell Tower, which uh, Zach Gage, who is awesome and maybe best known for that game that deletes files on your hard drive when you play it, also has some uh, less destructive. Is that games. punishment uh, for doing things wrong? Spell Tower. I think it's also when you win, uh, it it, uh, it it does things like that too. But he also has a game called Bit Pilot. It's a little bit. Like you're you're an asteroid spaceship, but you're just dodging things, and it manages to have what feel like some of the more responsive controls for an iOS game. Let's see what else. Euphoria, which I had seen before, but but haven't played. On the Wind, Last Rocket. I'm just reading it off now. Pulse, which is a fun music game. Blind World. Give a shout if you recognize <laughs> any of these. Or, or if you're, if you're at all interested in me going what's, into them more, what's been the most interesting one that you've that you've dug into? So I've I've spent the most time on Infinity Blade, but I think that Pulse is the the most interesting one. So it's the it's it's a music game, and there haven't been that many games that I've played that that really make good use of of multi touch. I think Alice is my favorite game that pulls that off, where you're touching the screen at four points at at once, and it challenges that part of your brain and is not something that could have been done on any other device. Pulse is pulls that off for me. It's a music game in which there are concentric circles, music is playing, and there are, you know, as a note goes out, it pulses out through the circles, and you tap little blobs that, that come up uh, that indicate, like, when a note is going to play, and you need to touch a particular part of the screen uh, in order it's to... It's essentially a rhythm game, right? Yeah, and the, but and the notes are moving around in a sort of circular fashion on on the screen, and sometimes you're playing through the the first levels, and there's only ever one note in the circle, and then there are multiple notes in the circle, and then there are notes that are off of the main grid, and it's just it's a music game. It's very pretty. It reminds you that there were music games before and after Guitar Hero, and uh, ones that have. Uh, oh, it is visual. It's beautiful. I agree. I have to say I'm a huge fan of the concept that was exercised in uh, Infinity Blade. The the idea of games where replayability is 
fundamental to the concept. You know, if I felt like Torchlight was going to be like that and it wasn't quite, I'm, st- I still think we have a lot to mine in that idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, the main world in Infinity Blade is, is like pretty limited and it's like, I mean, the, the frame story is, you're like a swordsman, you are trying to kill the God King, and the God King is level 50 and you're level 1. There are, you know, maybe 10 fights in between the beginning of the, the game, and when you get to the God King, and there's basically no way to kill him the first time, he kills you, and then, you know, flashes 20 years later, and it's your son who is coincidentally at exactly your experience level with all the gear that you had before, who has come to avenge you. <laughs> Which is, is is pretty cool, and the main thing that annoyed me about Infinity Blade is seeing that you could pay fifty dollars, fifty cold hard American dollars to get a gigantic bag of gold in order to buy whatever equipment you want. That just seemed like flagrant whale but, baiting. Uh, at least it's not you're not playing against other people and getting advantages to them. You're just buying your way through it. Uh, I, I I'm not interested in doing that. That's but, right. It's it's, it's not uh, the it, worst. It, it doesn't seem as antisocial as as buying an advantage in in player versus player games. No, it's it's not the worst of the uh, the offenses of of that. But I also paid for the game, so the it's something about in-app purchases in a game that you pay for. Isn't it a like a five or eight dollar game? Um, I think the the Infinity Blade Two was like six dollars. I think the first one was, was, and that's real money in iOS land. Yes, I was going to say. I also well, then I saw something that I'd never seen before, which I you know wish I would have seen before the free to play talk. But there was some sort of zombie game that that doesn't merit me remembering the name, but in which. There's actually a part of the game that's like a bank that you go to, and it's like here are all the ways that you can earn gold, and it's like like the game on Facebook, tweet about it, but then it's like sign up for the AARP, like get a magazine subscription, like join like Boston Sports yeah. Club. Uh it's like <laughs> it's like credit card rewards built into a free to play zombie. So there was an in, in, there were some interesting reviews of uh, of of a new Wii U game, Zombie U. Uh it, which reminded me of the the uh, Infinity Blade story arc reminds me of this it essentially as you go along you will die and when you die your character is turned into a zombie and then you you wake up in a safe house in a new body and if you want to go out and continue from where you were and get all of the stuff that was still on your old zombie body you have to kill your old character that's that's very similar to the, net, <laughs> the net hat concept of being able every once in a while to find a ghost of one of the characters you'd played before yeah. I, I I like the idea a great deal. Uh, so what have you been playing, Brian? I've been playing a lot. Um, I did. Uh, I was doing some travel uh, at the end of the end of this week, last week, and uh, took my Nexus Seven out. And I recommendation from one of your slash our friends now um, bought pen and paper RPG. Played a little bit of that. Played a little bit of uh, World of Goo. Pen and paper RPG is a funny one. It's very much an old school, you know, kill the monsters and stuff with a, a little gimmick of there's a real life D&D game going on and you can see the kids sitting at the table playing the game and then there's also the pretend world that they're playing in. 
but I wouldn't say there was anything awesome about the game. It was just a good way to kill time. You know, it's just a, a fun little RPG to, you know, kill 10 rats in. I remembered one more. Uh, Windows Cell. Windows Cell? Have you heard of that? Is that was that originally a Flash game? Um, I imagine it could have. Uh, it seem, seems like it, it would... Uh, and I Now I turned it on and it's making sounds. It's basically like... Uh, an interactive, interactive like puzzle world that is very yeah. I played this game I, I, when it was a flash game, and I loved it. It was just you have to find the little cubes that that uh, that unlock the door. There's that element of delight. These little playful things that don't actually have anything to do with the game, but are fun to mess around with. It's in some ways what what I'm looking for. The in an iOS game is is something like quirky and weird. <laughs> And not like games that, like I, I don't really want to find a first-person shooter game or uh, a zombie. I've never, game. I've never understood the concept of wanting to play a first-person shooter on a tablet. Not only because the controls are bad, but just be, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me in any way, shape, or form. You know, strategy games, uh, little arcade games, they all have a place, but I, I don't get the shooters. But I will say that Super Crate Box that was terrible to play on the. On the iPod Touch is uh, is great for the iPad. Also, goddamn you for telling me about Jetpack Joyride because <laughs> that, that I, I I probably played that even more than Infinity Blade. I I think it's a perfect uh, iOS game. I just want to like I see oh all I have to do is high five seventy five uh, scientists and. I get a couple of stars. It's it's a pretty manageable. Like if that that's all I want to do before I I put it down. It, it's funny how quickly you move from how far can I go in a match to just in the in the the nicest way possible, just grinding out those achievements. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't know that I ever played. How far can I get? <laughs> Maybe the the first time, but the but the achievements. Some of them are. Are the good kind of achievements, which are play in some style that you'd never played before, um, like hug this, try hugging the ceiling, or do something that get get twenty get twenty near misses with this thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah, avoid gold coins, but then a lot of them aren't. Yeah, it's, I like it. I think it's, it's still a great game, and, and every once in a while I would whip it out and just use it again to, to kill time, as you do. So, ladies and gentlemen, Wikification. What do you say? Yeah, I think. Uh, we need more of it. <laughs> I'm both for it and against it. Yes, yes indeed. I could, I could see both sides of that argument. <laughs> cool. Well, um, thanks for uh, thanks for getting on the line tonight, and uh, have a have a good one, guys. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes, to you all. And um, it occurs to me that uh, uh, iOS and essentially mobile games, we may be entering a. Sort of a, a golden era, at least for indies, and that that may be a topic for the future. We've got the the indie game, the weird indie game topic that I think Jim's going to spearhead. That may be the next one we do. Oh yeah, that's definitely got to be Jim's. Yeah, <laughs> I can do that. Sweet. I will talk to you guys soon. Thanks. All right. Good enough. Bye bye. Right. This has been the Game Theory Podcast, Episode Eleven. We're happy to announce that you can now subscribe to the podcast on the iTunes store. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to rate us. You can contact us via Twitter at GameTheoryPC or email 
at gametheorypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.